Well, hello, Bridge family. I am grateful and excited to be with you again um, for this time in the Word with Philippians. Uh, if you don't know, I'm Heath Haynes. I'm one of our elders uh, here at the Bridge, and I'm grateful for the chance just to share um, God's truth with you uh, and what He, you know, honestly, just to pass on what He's been doing in me uh, through it. So without any further delay, I just want to pray and I want us to get straight into Philippians today. Um, so God, we just um, come before you now, Lord, in the midst of kind of wherever we are, um, whether it's morning, evening, middle of the workday, after the workday, Lord, whatever's happening. God, I pray right now that you would just um, bring a stillness and a peace to our hearts and minds, Lord, not that we would... Uh, escape the realities of our lives, but that right now we would bring the realities of our lives before you, God, because we trust you to be, Lord, uh, our, our sovereign and good God, to be the all-sufficient God, Lord, to be the one who works in love and, and, and brings your truth to us in a way that transforms and brings freedom, God. And Lord, that you've done all that through the work of Jesus. And so I pray right now, how, however, and, and from wherever we are coming to this time, whether we have professed Christ, been walking with Jesus for a long time, whether uh, we find ourselves kind of newly in uh, this kind of life, maybe even just kind of trying to discover what is true, uh, and as, you know, maybe we're trying to find hope in this difficult time. And I pray that wherever each of us are coming into this moment, Lord, that our hearts and our minds will be open, Lord, that our lives would be open, Lord, that you could enter in, Lord, that you would enter in and through your truth, by the Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ, Lord, and bring, Lord, freedom and peace and purpose and joy in the midst of all things. So, Lord, we surrender this time. Speak through me or in spite of me, God. I pray that um, you would receive the glory the name of Jesus to be lifted up and that your church would be strengthened and the world would know that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing through Philippians. Um, we come to Philippians 2, 19 through 30 today. So it's a pretty significant little chunk compared to some of the other stuff we've been teaching. But that's what we're going to look at today. And I just want to jump right in. So we're going to read Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Um, you can read with me. It'll also be right here um, on, the, on the video with us. But let's read this. So this is Paul continuing to write to his friends in the church in Philippi. He says... I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. 
So as I read that text, um, I mean, if you read it, you know, we just jumped right into it. We didn't come into it kind of from the, what's been proceeding in the letter, uh, and we're not looking at it kind of in what's to follow. But if you've been tracking with us, you know that this is a personal letter from Paul to his friends in the church in Philippi. It's a church that he helped start. It's a church he's heavily invested in, uh, pastorally as well as, per, as well as personally. It's a it's a community of people that he cares about, the community of people that cares about him deeply. Again, uh, as we've been working through this letter, it's a letter where you hear great uh, encouragement, you hear lots of gratitude, you hear this pervasive joy, and the and, and it's a testimony of Paul, but, but that's what the instruction comes through and the instruction is has been the way to living with the joy of Christ in the midst of difficult circumstances as well as the the compelling to commit and to pursue the progressing of the gospel of Jesus in all of life in it personally uh, as well as together and then as well as the reaching of the world the, the redeeming and saving of the world in Christ and so that's what we've been working up to in this point but then it comes to this, and it's kind of this strange thing, and, and it's a weird piece of text. And, you know, you look at it, and what it is, it's, it's kind of a travel log, right? It's, it's, a, it's kind of a travel plans as a journal entry, right? Just kind of sharing personal travel plans. And, and the reason why I say it's kind of weird for it to be here, it's a normal thing in a personal letter, especially in the time, to have travel plans, to have kind of what's coming next. Um, but, but typically, it comes at the end of the text as the end of the letter as opposed to where it is right now like right smack dab in the middle and right smack dab in the middle of kind of this this consistent testimony and instruction from paul so it's kind of weird for that regard and then also it's kind of weird that that there's not like direct instruction in it right it's kind of jolting in the way that it departs from what has been being communicated up to this point, right? I mean, we've just, you know, come into where in Psalm 127, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we're talking about, you know, Paul's exhorting them to this way of life that is worthy of the gospel. And it's this call to just grand unity that is accomplished in Christ and the work of unity. And then in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it points to the example of this way of life in Jesus. And so as we come into this, it just, it feels, um, it, it feels a little disjointed. It feels a little like it doesn't belong. It feels like almost like just a weird random rabbit trail. Um, and, and so while it seems to not have any direct instruction, what I'm excited about today is to really see, it's really on the contrary, this passage has plenty to say theologically. And when we say theological, we're talking about our pursuit and understanding of who God is and the implications of who he is in our lives. So we see that this passage has plenty to say theologically if we're satisfied to dwell on what is implied more than what it says directly. And so that's what we're going to do today. I want to mirror kind of this conversational nature of instruction in my own talk. So today's going to talk is going to be a little bit more conversational in the approach. And I pray that it will leave room for some really healthy and invigorated discussion uh, in your house churches. And so today's big idea is this, again, thinking about 
the way in which we come to our understandings today is that God intends his supernatural, extraordinary work of the gospel of Jesus to be accomplished in the ordinary things of our lives. What a cool opportunity. And so as I think about that, the question I want to work through today and kind of our, what we're going to draw out of this is, is how do we, how, how to, we want to look at how to experience the extraordinary in the ordinary. This is the way to experience the extraordinary in the ordinary. And so again, we start with why Paul's mind jumps to this seemingly random thought. And I'm going to make a case that it's not that it's not random at all. We can actually see what brought Paul to this. Again, we remember what Paul said in, in Philippians 1:27 that kind of began this whole thing of living a life worthy of the manner of the gospel, calling us to a way of life of selfless love. We saw that coming out of Psalm 127 into uh, sorry Philippians 1:27 into Philippians 2, and then he pointed us, uh, you know, in, in in that section in uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so again, we see this picture of a way of life, of, of imitating Jesus, of, of living selflessly, of, of living in a life worthy of the manner of the gospel, and if we think about what the gospel is, it's the good news of God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ. It only makes sense that then Paul followed into what we looked at on Easter in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, is showing the ultimate example in Christ of how he humbled himself, considering our need greater than his own claim, right? And he humbled himself, took on humanity, took on death, took on sin, and overcame for our sake. Right, and so this is where Paul's mind's at, and we, we came into what we looked at last week in this kind of continued charge to the impact of a life of unity working out as we pursue that ourselves together. Um, that's what we left. And so I want to point out that it only makes sense that we would get to Epaphroditus and Timothy, because what happened, what I think happened here, what seems to me that happened here is that Paul as a person is writing this letter, a personal letter as a person, and he's thinking about the, 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 the charge to imitate, to follow Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus. And what I think happened here is that he just had some very personal examples pop into his head. He had a couple of people in his life that have certainly done this in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so what we want to do today is to look at Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and, the, and what we can glean from their way of life with Paul to walk away with our understanding of how to experience the extraordinary in the ordinary. And so, so first off, we want to start off with this. If we want to see the extraordinary in the ordinary... Um, once again, I mean, we're beating the same drum. We're beating a dead horse that <laughs> brings great life. We want to imitate Jesus in how you treat others. So this is what we see. First, we see it, uh, in, first we see that they put others' interests above their own. We see it in Paul in 2.19 and in 2.25, where he speaks of wanting to send, um, I lost my page speaks of wanting to send Timothy 
and Epaphroditus, right? I hope in order to send Timothy to you in 1925, I felt it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. And the reason why I would just point to Paul here is because Paul's in great need. Remember, he's in prison. And Timothy is, is this, this closer than a brother friend and someone who is close to him, which we'll see. And Epaphroditus too. It would be easy for Paul to say, I need to keep these guys here with me. I, I need them more than you do. I'm in prison, possibly facing death. And but yet we see because Paul cares for the church in Philippi, he wants to send Timothy and Epaphroditus. We also see it uh, in Timothy, looking in 2.20. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And again, this has to be a direct connection back to what we saw in 2, 3, and 4, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, because then he follows it to say, uh, For they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. And so he's contrasting Timothy's uh, selflessness with those who have not, and this even kind of points back to what we saw in chapter 1, where, where Paul spoke of those who were proclaiming the gospel out of either selfish ambition or rivalry, right? Where you know, And so we see there are those who are not living this way, who sadly are living a life that don't really look any different than those of the world. And so we see a selflessness in Timothy, a putting others' interests above their own. And then Epaphroditus as well, in uh, verse 30, it says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so, you know, what, it, you know, as, as best as I can understand this, what it seems is that Epaphroditus got sick on the way to Paul from Philippi, which is not a short journey and decided to continue along. And he was probably not traveling alone, so probably was, someone was sent back to share of his illness. And in his progressing, uh, Epaphroditus got more and more sick. So we see that in his commitment to others, in his commitment to care for Paul, he put that above his own need. So we see this, uh, we imitate Jesus and how you treat one another, and that we put others' interests above your own. Again, we're, we're just gonna keep beating that drum we're going to keep beating it because uh, Scripture keeps beating it. Secondly, um, we also see uh, that we're shown actual examples of what this looks like in the way Timothy and Epaphroditus um, live and treat uh, at Paul. And so, you know, we see something similar here in verse 22 and verse 25. It refers, Paul refers to Timothy as their relationship being like a son to a father. And he says in verse 25 that Epaphroditus is a fellow brother, right? And so what we see here is this, this family connection and affection, right? And so there is this concern beyond just acquaintances. There is this concern beyond just someone who, who shares in an organization, right? There is this, this deep connection and affection that goes beyond just some external thing. And it, relate, and it results in a deep caring for one another as well as a sense of responsibility and belonging, right? And so when you're part of a family, you know, you, you don't get to opt in and opt out. You are responsible for one another. You're responsible for the, the cause of the home, right? And you're responsible for the, the mundane things as well as the bigger picture of what binds you together. And of course, as the family of God in Christ, what, what binds us together is the common work of Christ in our lives and our confession and belief. We are saved and adopted in as sons and daughters. 
but then also kind of the code of the home, right? In that we also take on, as we are created in God's image, reconciled back into relationship and family, we also take on the norms of this family and home. And so there is that common experience, that common responsibility and belonging and affection for one another. And so we see that Timothy and Epaphroditus treated Paul as family. There was a common a kinship there. And so we see, again, for the body of Christ, for us, if we want to experience the extraordinary and the ordinary, also with each other, it is bound that we would live with this kind of affection and connection. Um, as we are all growing and maturing, we take on more and more and more responsibility for one another as well as the cause of the house. I almost wanted to say something cool like the cause of the casa just came to mind. I had to say it out loud. I hope that puts a smile on your face. So we see uh, we see that. And then if we look, he, Paul, Paul gets a little more specific with Epaphroditus in verse 25. He goes on to call him uh, to uh, identify Epaphroditus as four more things. Uh, first is a fellow worker. And this should call us back to uh, Philippians 1, 3, and 5. We see, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So a fellow worker is one who has a common commitment to a purpose. And, we're common, and we are alongside one another. And Paul, Paul established the church in Philippi. Paul is an overseer of multiple multiple gospel communities, multiple faith families, multiple congregations, if you will. He has a leadership role even over the church in Philippi. And yet what we see here is as he looks at Epaphroditus, he also calls him equal. He speaks to, as we are fellow workers, he says there is a, an equal call, although we have different leadership roles. And so there's a there's an, an important work there, an important understanding as those who are called together, bound together. Uh, we are we are we have a common partnership in the gospel again because we have a common claim on us in Christ. We also have a common uh, purpose. And so we see that um, there's a felt there's a family connection. There is a a purpose connection. And then he goes on to say, uh, you are a fellow soldier. He calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. And you could think that you could, you know, stop and say, well, that's a common purpose too. But really what's in view here is like, is this idea of shared adventure and adversity is what we're seeing here. Shared adventure and adversity um, is what we're seeing here in the, in the marker of this relationship of Paul and Epaphroditus. He's saying we are bound together in all things, including trials and pain, because really what's here is the suffering of the soldier. First Corinthians 12, 26 says, if, in, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Hebrews 13, 3 says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And so this speaks to the depth of the connection and the unity, right? We're, seeking, we're talking about the outworking here, the reality of these, these truths that we have been, been just kind of been kind of hit with over and over again. And so we see that there is a, a, a common, there's a family connection, there's a, that we are fellow workers, a common purpose, as well as a willingness and desire to share in the, in the difficulties, both just in the challenge of perseverance, the adventure, 
and discovery as well as the possibility and reality of suffering that we step in and suffer together we come alongside and then kind of shifts gears and he talks about kind of uh, Epaphroditus uh, relationship as he serves in between Paul and the church in Philippi um, and he calls him he says you are their messenger and so Epaphroditus came to deliver he was it was a very apostolic thing he was the sent one sent to deliver the message he was sent to deliver the message of truth and love and grace to Paul and so again thinking about for us like we are meant to be the messengers of the gospel to each other every day um, we are meant to be the messengers of the gospel to each other every day and of course to the world too but again what's in view here is a way of life together for the sake of the glory of God and the gospel the progressing of the gospel of Jesus and so he was a messenger so we are, we have the opportunity to bring the message of truth love and grace uh, to one another and then he says also uh, a minister and here we want to think function over position here often we when we say minister we're talking about someone a role someone has in a church but really what we're seeing is function the function of ministering to right and remember here Paul is in he is in a Roman prison system in Philippi and he is in here in the Roman prison system they don't provide for the needs of their prisoners it is up to others in the prisoners lives to provide for their needs meaning food meaning anything else they need and so Paul is dependent on outside people to provide for him and this is very real what the church in Philippi is doing they are sending both tangible resources and money and food and other things as well as emotional and spiritual needs as well and so what we see is Epaphroditus took on the responsibility of caring for for Paul he cared for him holistically in the tangible as well as the emotional and the spiritual and I think about this I think about these 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 descriptors right of of a, of a brother or sister a, a member of family a fellow worker a fellow soldier a messenger and a minister and I don't want to be dark but but what an amazing thing like let's just you know what amazing terms these are to be used to describe each other um, what would it be like if we lived in a way that if we ended up sharing this life together to the end what would it be like if when we come to that day and, and maybe I'm at your funeral or you're at mine and well what would it be like if this if our way of life led us to describe each other with these words um, we that is what the church is yeah we have a name the bridge but we are not an entity or an organization we are a people bound together this is the opportunity this is the call this is the way in which we would see the extraordinary things of God expressed in the ordinary ways of life Philippians bears this out over and over again but some of our anchor verses for this way of life are what we see Jesus's exhortation in John 13 34 and 35 he says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and so we see again both the internal in the external as well as the vertical right in out and up the work of the gospel the work of the love of God 
in our lives in the way that we love one another we build each other up we support one another we also exhibit the reality of the love of god worked in christ and we glorify god and offer worship unto him we see that we hit that hard last week we hit i mean it's just over and over and over again first thessalonians 2 8 again speaks to the nature of our life together as we pursue the realities of God, the things of faith and theology. It is not just about head knowledge. It's not just about instructing, right? It says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Teaching matters. Truth matters. Good doctrine matters. Good right understanding of God. Right understanding of creation. Right understanding of sin and death and victory and life and salvation. All these things matter. But it is meant to be delivered in the context of relationship and shared life. That's why we commit to kind of these three postures of sharing life together. Just ordinary life. Sharing worship together. Coming together together to exalt and revel in the work of God in Christ and to share service together, to serve, to identify with the way of Jesus of a self, self-sacrificing self love of serving one another and serving the world together. That's why we do this. So our first way to experiencing the extraordinary within the ordinary is to imitate Jesus and uh, how we treat one another uh, and of course it extends to the world. Secondly, we also see here, we want to make the priority of the gospel be the priority of your life, to be the priority of our own lives. Uh, Paul's example, we see this, and we point to these verses for other things, we point to them again in 2.19 and 2.24. Um, he, says, uh, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. I hope in the Lord Jesus and then in 25, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And, um, sorry, 24. He says, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So we see these two phrases. I hope in the Lord Jesus and I trust in the Lord. And then what follows, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send to you. I trust in the Lord Jesus to come to you. And what Paul's saying here is that, yeah, like I have these desires. Like This is what I hope happens. But at the end of the day, my life is lived with open hands. It belongs to the, the cause of Christ because of, what the, because of what Christ has done in me. And so we see over and over again through all of Paul's letters a life that, that is personal, that he has personal ambition and desires. He has just very human desires. We see that he wanted to make it to the church in Rome, but probably never did. You know, he, he, as he committed his life, he, we see continually him making plans, being prayerful and making plans, but yet also we see God overtaking his life over and over and over again. And so we see that if we want to experience the extraordinary in the ordinary, we have to make the priority of the gospel be the priority of your life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from whom, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, um, both in, in the, what, what, how you treat it, what you offer it, and just what you commit your life to. Romans 14, 7 and 8 says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This echoes back to what Paul said just a few verses earlier, which is just, for him, a few sentences early in the letter, where he says, To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
He said, like, I struggle. Like for me, it's far better to be to die and be with Jesus, to be unified with my Savior face to face. But because I love you and for your sake, I surrender that and I choose to be with you because it would be better for you that I stay and continue to teach and encourage and, and love you. And so we see this this constant state of surrender. And there is a tension, I think, of, of that we kind of face a lot of over spiritualizing or to be too intense. Right. I know I feel that. like and for me, like, you know, I, I feel this tension of like, you know, am I am I bringing it back to Jesus too often? I mean, just to be real. Um, and man, I, I find comfort in Paul that he brings it back to Jesus. I mean, here, like, again, take note, this is him talking about travel plans. And yet the cause of Christ even overtakes his travel plans. And so, so as we think about this tension, like we, you know, we don't want to be, you know, I grew up hearing like, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? Like we don't want to be so out of touch, but yet we should see the gospel. And let me just say it this way. What's in view here is, is that we live with a reality that our life has been claimed by the cause of Christ, not to the extent of being unrelatable, but to the extent of seeing how all things relate to the gospel of Jesus and God's will for this world. Let me say that last part again. Not to the extent of being unrelatable, but to the extent of seeing how all things relate to the gospel of Jesus and God's will for this world. So if you want to see the extraordinary and the ordinary, again, continue to imitate Jesus in all relationships. Make the priority of the gospel be the priority of your life. Live with open hands. Make your plans. Be prayerful. Let, let your desires be known, but, it, but surrender all to God's will and to the work of Christ. And so, and then lastly, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, be human together. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of humanity in these verses, and I'm so grateful because... And thinking about this, like, you know, being overtaken by the cause of Christ, we kind of feel like we have to shed human, our humanity. And over and over again, what I'm so grateful for is how God invites us to bring our humanity to him. You know, we're going to look at this this passage in a second, but just something just came to my mind is, you know, in James, where, where you know, James says, hey, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him come to God and ask, uh, and I will give without reproach. So he's saying, if you lack an understanding of God, don't be afraid to ask, come to me. Like, again, he doesn't shun us for our humanity, right? The, our temporal minds are always going to meet the limits of their understanding. And our right response every time we hit that limit is to come to God and say, God, I need your help. And he never wags his finger at us. He never says, oh, why don't you know that already? He says, oh, I'm glad you're here. Let me unfold my grand mysteries and glory to you uh, all the more. And so what we see here is this, this wonderful kind of expression of, of, the, of the opportunity to be human in the midst of our lives and all that is, that, that's a part of them uh, and our pursuit of, of again, our, our life of faith in Christ. Um, you know, Paul exhibits this all throughout Philippians. I mean, part of the reason he is so encouraged and part of the t reason this letter has such a tone of joy and encouragement is because of the need in him that was met 
by their encouragement and ministering through Epaphroditus. Um, but, but look here in verse 27. It says, Indeed, Epaphroditus was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Um, I mean, Paul is saying, you know, and again, keep it in the context here. This whole letter is about living with joy and the peace of God, being contented in Christ in the midst of all circumstances. And yet he is also saying, in the midst of this reality, I have, I would have experienced sorrow upon sorrow, and I was experiencing the weight of that. Epaphroditus also shows this in that in verse 26, he has this longing to come to them, right? He has this concern for his friends in Philippi, right? They knew he was ill, but they didn't know he was better. There, were, there was this one time I was out of the country. I think I was in Brazil, and Amber was not with me, uh, my wife, and she calls me, and it's kind of it's late at night. I don't know, it was like 1 a.m. or something like that. And she says, hey, I hear a noise outside. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, why are you calling me? I can't do anything about it. Hang up the phone. Call your dad or call our brother, your brother-in-law and get them on the phone. And then please call me back as soon as everything is okay. And, man, I'll tell you what. Those five minutes were horrible five minutes for me. I am sitting there just in the void of knowledge of how is my wife. And I, and I was longing to know how she was. And, you know, she called back and, and it turned out to be nothing, praise God. Uh, but that's, that you know, Epaphroditus, just talking about the human experience here. In the midst of this promise of joy and peace, there is this reality of tension, of difficulty, of sorrow and suffering. And so Epaphroditus' understanding of what they were experiencing put in him a longing to go back. I appreciate how Frank, Frank Tillman put it. He says, Paul's joyful attitude in the midst of his adversity did not exclude, exclude legitimate feelings of sorrow. Sorry. Uh, the, the Philippians' joy upon seeing Epaphroditus and the latter's relief at being with his friends again uh, give Paul less anxiety, more literally less sorrow. But he is still not entirely without a sense of grief. You know, to experience the extraordinary is not to be without need. Um, we are not to deny our humanity. The opportunity is that we get to bring all things to each other into our all-loving, all-sufficient, all-gracious, gracious, and merciful God and see him move once again. What we should walk away with is that our theology, again, our understanding and pursuit of God and the implications of, of who God is on our lives, what we should walk away with is that our theology is meant to be a theology for life that is expressed and experienced in our everyday. So I wanted to take a moment to... Um, to kind of illustrate a way of life real quick. And, and you'll see it right here as I illustrate it. Um, you know, in, in kind of, in, in the, the common idea of church, community, right? It, 
we've adopted a very kind of organizational view, right? Where we have over here, we have kind of a leader. I know my handwriting is horrible, but that's why I'm saying it out loud. Uh, and then you come down here, and it's kind of this triangle. And here and here, what we have here, it's kind of the, the, the committed, you know, core people. And then over here, we have kind of attenders. And what we see is that, like, whether it be leadership or teaching or responsibility, it's very linear, right? A leader kind of imparts and then also, but then also it kind of disseminates through those who are committed and kind of the, the next layer of leadership. And you could add more layers to this if you want. But this is kind of what's common, right? This is what we see uh, here. And what we see kind of emerging here. If we think about the church rightly, again, it is a byproduct of the work of the gospel, binding people together in unity in Christ, giving a common existence and a common purpose, common identity. It is much more cyclical, um, where we see, again, people along the, you know, kind of sharing space together, and it's always unidirectional. Everybody uh, has an opportunity to care for one another, to impart uh, what Christ is doing in their life. Again, different people have more experience, more uh, maturity. That's okay. But everyone has an opportunity. And yes, there is still, it is not, it is still, there are still leadership roles. But what leaders do is they're much more like farmers and they're creating this context. They're guarding and caring for a way of life and a culture. And again, and it's not just one, you know, it's that we share this and we kind of take this on. And so, you know, leaders create a, a nurturing space by, by, by having, again, good truth, um, by, by modeling the way of life in Christ, right? By actually doing these things. And so this is what I would love for us to wrestle with is, is how do we, as those who are called, who have confessed Christ, and call on him and committed to this way of life together, um, how do we go from, from this typical linear aspect over here to this more of a shared existence where we share responsibility, we all take on, we all bring our gifts and our, and our abilities to life together for the sake of one another and for the cause of Christ. And, um, and again, if you are not a Christ follower, it doesn't mean you don't have a space. It means please come in and just you being present and offering of yourself actually contributes to this very existence as well. So again, I hope that's helpful for you. What I hope that this leads to is you discussing with, with those in your direct community, uh, how do you actually uh, pursue this? And again, it all starting with Jesus, um, but then it carrying forward to something uh, that is, is more real than just an organization. So I hope that's helpful for you. Um, uh, you know, I do want to say one last thing that seems to connect and seems very current in the midst of all that's happening with kind of the pandemic and COVID-19 and the distancing and the isolation. Um, you know, we certainly just thinking back to even what we just said about our humanity and in the midst of the promise of joy and peace, we can still experience the, the, the difficulties. Um, I want to say this to you. If you're dealing with anxiety, um, depression, if you're dealing with thoughts of self-harming, 
or if maybe if you're turning to 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 other escapes like alcohol or other drugs or pornography or whatever else um please know this know that you're not alone and you don't have to go through this alone you know yes we, we are relegated to social distancing and relating through technology but this is certainly an opportunity that we could uh with wisdom uh kind of seek a more direct uh, connection and being present with one another so if you are going through that um man if you're part of a house church reach out to your house church leaders or, or uh, someone who's a part of that house church uh, with you that you that you could share this with if you don't feel like you have that uh, please reach out to myself or one of the other elders uh, kurt keeper matt stevens travis hall um or our wives if uh, that would be more comfortable for you um and let us come alongside um you know th this is a immediate application for what we're just learning through our invitation is to cast every care upon jesus put each other's interest above our own and revel in the opportunity to step into each other's lives so i pray that this finds you um well i pray that this encourages you and invigorates your soul that it deepens our view of what the church is, what we are called to, what our opportunity is, and how this is the theology for life, where we can experience the supernatural, extraordinary work of God in the midst of our ordinary daily lives. So I want to pray, and I want to encourage you to join in with the house church. Go and discuss this, um, and, and allow God to transform us for his glory. Uh, let me pray. So God, we love you, God. We surrender all to you, and we uh, trust you, Lord, and we praise you. Um, be glorified in us. Um, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.